Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's year with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Thank you for joining us on this beautiful Sunday night and being part of it. Tonight's year is year 124, and um, the guy who makes the gematria is, 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 is out. So we're just going to go with his gematria was one, one times two is two, two times two is four, you know, a little bit OCD, I guess, but uh, not a good gematria, but next time, Mitch, we'll get it. Um, but tonight's year is 124. Again, we always start off every week thanking uh, people that are coming every week and telling people about it. And Baruch Hashem, it's worldwide, and we get you know messages from all over the world, literally, right, Menachem? Yeah, from all over the world, and uh, we appreciate it. Special thanks to all the viewers that tell their family and friends about it. They post it on WhatsApp, they email it around. Like I say every week, if a topic is not negated to you, it's fine. You can join when it is, but let people know about it. You never know what's relevant to who, and it can be really helping people just by letting people know about the share. Tonight's a share to have a Sikhs Khaverim to have an open conversation about uh, you know, anxiety and OCD. We'll get into it with Reverend Shulam Epstein, Mitchem. And um, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me personally at 848-525-0066. It's save my number in your phone. And every Sunday, I will send you the flyers. And then later, I could also send you the, the replays. Um, and if anybody wants to go to MenachemBerenfeld.com, to his website, you could sign up to get the weekly emails. And then you get the weekly replays. Mitchem, you could be part of the... Coach Menachem family tree community. Like for those people that are watching this and you the, the the replay of this on YouTube, please please click on the subscribe button and also click on the and the, on the like button. And every Sunday, Monday morning when Menachem uploads it, you get a ding and you know the new shared up. You can watch it. Please join. Start off always thanking all of our advertising sponsors that promote us, the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood for always promoting us on the Lakewood in the Lakewood area. Ellie and Ariel Sharon, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central. Special thank you to Chayla Kaplan Shmuel from JCN, Jewish Kind Night, for always promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night for the past two and a half years, share 124 at 9.30 on this Zoom ID. We have many different abundant, different topics, and it's been a while, and we have a lot of big stuff coming up. And uh, next week, we have a very, very, very big share. His name is Moshe Rapperg. He's a rub in Tom's River. He's a good friend of mine. He's been on once before. He's a rav and a therapist. He has both milas, and he's going to be talking about, is there a concept of too much therapy? Rabbi you think there's a concept of too much therapy? Maybe we should just get rid of all the therapists. I have uh, three more kids to marry off, so I'll answer Okay, that. so we'll push up the shear until that's done. Let me know when they're married. But the topic is, is there a concept of too much therapy? What are the roles <clears throat> of Rabbanim and therapists, and do they overlap? So um, that should be something very interesting, and uh, we got the right guy for it. So we'll see how next week plays out. Should definitely be a meaningful, powerful program. So please join us. Let everybody know about it tonight. We have the schus and the honor of having world famous therapist Meshulam Epstein. I used to be an old Lakewood resident, now I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. But in this sugya, in this parish of OCD and anxiety, he is uh, from the Gedalim. So that's that's my uh, my knowledge about it. How do I know? Because I had friends that use them, so I know he's he's from the Gedalim. And uh, thank you for coming on. We'll get back to him. We're going to start our first with an opening with Coach Menachem. I know Coach Menachem has anxiety before he speaks. So it's perfect. Open it up. Thank you, Usher, for giving me the exposure so I can get used to the anxiety. Welcome, everyone, to another year. Baruch Hashem, we're up to 124. 
and with a lot of siyata deshmaya. Tonight we have a very special guest, like we heard. I mentioned to a few people were discussing OCD, and right away they told me, Shulm Epstein, looks like uh, his name is out there. It's an important conversation, and uh, there are many people who, who are suffering. It's not, it's not something that we should take lightly. And I, I was sitting and discussing with uh, Michelle Epstein for a few minutes. And uh, sometimes he can throw a joke and it looks like he it takes it lightly, but you have to know that those, those suffering, and he knows because he deals with it, it's not, not an easy thing, especially talking about people um, in the firm world, People want to do things right, and they want to do it al pi halacha, and they're not sure. They're not sure, and sometimes it can be instead of um, getting them closer to Hashem, it gets them further away, and they're not they're not able to function in a healthy from el chayid. So it's an important thing to learn. What am I supposed to do? By the way, for those who have admired, did you say the same Talimata? Oh, now everybody's thinking, I'm not sure. That doesn't mean, I don't, I don't think it's OCD. I think that's pretty normal because tonight was the first night. And for those who live with someone, someone in the house, a close one who suffers from these, from OCD or anxiety, it's, it's important to understand, to understand what they're going through. And the truth is that if you don't, Bar Hashem, if you don't suffer, suffer from these, I, I, from OCD and anxiety, that's really hard to understand what they're going through, what they're, what the other is feeling. But it's important to understand number one, what they're, what they're feeling. Number two, what's my role? Whether it's a spouse, a parent, a teacher, because it could get a little tricky. Sometimes you want to help, but if you're not sure how. You can be enabling and sometimes making it worse, which we'll hear tonight. So these ideas come up in a lot of, lot of places, talking about the first Baruch Should I continue? Or I should say it again. But even when I finished Manasri, was I Yoytze? Was I Davin again? I'm not sure. Whether it, talking about, was I allowed to Davin? Talking about having a, a clean body, gufnaki comes up. A lot of different halachas come up. Or even checking the door every night before you go to sleep. The gas, making sure everything's okay and how many times you do it. And then people have those thoughts that they just can't stop. The thoughts go on and on again and again and again and again. They would love to just relax, take it easy. And, you know figure this is what it is, now I can continue life, but they can't. So it's a big schos to have with us tonight, Mishulam Epstein with us. So number one, we can understand, for those who need to understand what it is, understand what exactly um, am I going through, and what's, if, if, can I heal? What do I do to heal? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? And if it's not you, if it's somebody that's close to you, how, can I help them? How can I be there as a help, whether teacher, or parent, or whatever it is? So we should have a lot of siyata d'shmaya, and we should be able to gain, grow, and become closer to Hashem with this. Amen.
the beautiful opening. Okay, let's get into it tonight. First, we're going to do the shir. All the hundreds of people that are here now. I'm sure the thousands, thousands of people that will listen to it. All the help and all the drop we're going to get from it. It should be a schuss for them. And also for this woman that had this terrible tragedy in the Caribbean. Her name is Henya Bas Bracha Devora. Leah. She had a Fushalema. And I guess her child should have a Okay, tonight we're excited to have Mishul Mepstein with us. I'm going to read your bio, and then you're going to open it up. Okay, Mishul? Sounds fair? Here we go. Here we go. Mishul Mepstein is a licensed, licensed clinical social worker. He has been involved in treatment for OCD the past 20 years, and he has special interest in the intersection of anxiety and halacha. He's the clinical director of the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center, which services the greater Lakewood community. He received a BA in Hebrew and completed his master's in social work at Maryland University. Early in his clinical work, he met with Jonathan Grayson, PhD, Director of Anxiety, and however you say that, Center of California in Pennsylvania, a nationally known expert in OCD. The training was beginning of a lifelong professional relationship. After training with Dr. Grayson, Shulam began specializing in treating OCD, and more specifically, scrupulosity. How do you say that? I'm sorry? Scrupulosity. Scrupulosity, okay. Um, since then, he has been in demand for training and, cons and consultations in the U.S. and abroad. He's, he's professional member of the Obsessive Compulsive Foundation, and thought that he has cultivated relationships with leading researchers and clinics across the country. Since embarking on his career, Mishulam has spent countless hours discussing halachic implications of his work with leading Poiskin Gedolim, and most recently has given training for the Beisavad Medical Halacha Division, currently has offices in Lake New Jersey and Scranton, Pennsylvania. He resides in Scranton, Pennsylvania with his wife and his children. Mishulam Epstein, supposed to have you with us. We appreciate you coming in here tonight and spending your Sunday night with us. Floor is yours. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, this show is uh, known for having um, these superstar guests like Broadway Jacobson and um, everyone else who's been on it. And so it's a big honor. Uh, I also wanna say that I don't know what's up with Usher and Coach Menachem, but I don't know what, this I'm jealous of their schism that they have just helping so many people, giving them inspiration and hope. And there's some kind of subliminal advertising going on, but I can't figure it out yet. But so, really, I'll tell you the truth, Ramashulam is like, I can't afford therapy. So I figured I'll just do it. <laughs> so, really, hats off to you. Uh, really, really, um, really terrific. And um, the I'm fortunate enough to uh, grow up in a yeshiva and be in a, be in a yeshiva for a very long time. So this uh, career sort of came together in a, in a very good way. So I'm going to start out um, by uh, telling you a little bit about OCD. I'm going to make it first do a PSA, public servants announcement, uh, and then um, give you a little background. And then I think that once we have the framework, a lot of the questions are going to start to follow a certain pattern. And people are going to really, hopefully at the end of this, they're going to have a much greater understanding. They'll realize that it's very not complicated. So um, let me tell you a few things just off the bat. 
people who suffer from OCD are in a lot of pain. Uh, they, it's a mental torment. And at, as, as painful as it is, they're excellent at hiding it. Very, mostly uh, very highly intelligent people and very, very often high functioning people. And uh, you would never know it. Um, that's number one. Number two, I'd like all your listeners to know that when they hear the word OCD, they should not think of cases that are portrayed in the media that uh, are written for dramatic effect. Because not everyone who has OCD is walking around with garbage bags under their clothing in order not to get germs. Just to, that's one real example that was printed. These are really the people that I deal with. They're very high functioning, uh, accomplished uh, professionals. To me, the chachamim, and um, once in a while you'll get a severe case like the ones that you read about. But that is not the norm. That's number two. Number three. I would like for people to be careful when they say, um, I'm so OCD, or he is OCD. First of all, it's not a, it's not a word you use just to describe uh, a friend who is neat, or yourself who is neat. It's a disorder. And the people who really have it, throwing it around is really cheapens it a little bit. Uh, and secondly, a person suffers from OCD or they have OCD, they aren't OCD. And so I know it's a subtle distinction, but when you hear it, he's OCD. It's just uh, jarring to, if God forbid someone has it, or those of us who treat it, it's not the totality of the person, the fact that they have OCD. So uh, that's just uh, to advocate for uh, my clients. Uh, Menachem knows more about this than he let on when we spoke. Uh, so I will say that uh, these kinds of problems are discussed widely uh, in halachic literature. Uh, the Stipler writes about it extensively. He's when when someone when Rabbi a psychologist named Dr. Greenwald, also Tom Chacham, wrote him letters. Very often he would say, "I've seen many people like this. I've seen many higher bakers are easy. I saw many many people like this." So it is uh, it's very common. It's not something that uh, just showed up. So uh, it's been around. And the OCD normally attacks something which is most valuable to the person. So if the person's relationship to Hashem is their most valuable thing, most important to them, so the anxiety is going to threaten that thing. Just like a, ter a terrorist or a kidnapper, you know, the 
take away, they'll kidnap someone's child. Why? Because they know the person would do anything for the child. So anxiety will take something uh, that's very important to you. So in this case, it's the person's uh, the person's Yiddish kite. Uh, I'm supposed to come up with an inspirational story about OCD. Uh, that's uh, on my to-do list here tonight. Uh, there, there, you know what? There are hundreds and hundreds of inspirational stories. Uh, I'll tell you this. It's very, very treatable. Uh, it's it's uh, one of the most um, evidence-based treatments that exist in mental health. And the treatment is very straightforward. Once again, you, you, the person has to... Uh, you know, be an expert and experience, but the 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 success rates are incredibly good, and uh, I feel very fortunate. And people um, have told me, for example, uh, they they're sixty five percent better. They said it was like going from black and white to color in their life. It's uh, you don't have to get 100% better to have a great life. So people are constantly, constantly getting better. Some cases are more complicated than others, but a straightforward case of OCD is um, very, very treatable. And I want uh, people to, we're going to find, people are going to ask probably about when and how and, you know, what's considered OCD and what isn't. We'll get into that. But, but the pe people should know that uh, it sh they shouldn't be so scared about it. And um, they certainly shouldn't be scared to go get treatment for it. That's, uh, that's, uh, that should be uh, understood. And um, the good thing about treatment for OCD is that they don't ask you about your mother. So <laughs> you don't have to go into all that stuff if you don't want to. Uh, you know, again, once it's a straightforward case, they're not going to, you know, go into your kishkas. It's a behavioral treatment, and we'll get into that. Uh, uh, it's very behavioral and directive, and uh, all you have to do is get the model and be motivated, and that's all. It's really... Uh, once before we jump in, we have a lot of questions that came in. I want to just clarify something, and then we'll jump into the polls and the questions. Can you just clarify what OCD is, what it means, and yeah. you know, said in the beginning, but I don't think you clarified it. What's the general okay. model that will answer a lot of the questions and then let's jump into it. Okay, great. So we're going to, let's uh, look at it like this. We make it two columns, O and C, obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are just intrusive thoughts that have two elements to it. They, uh, they contain a doubt. This is 95% of the cases. They contain a doubt and they come with an uncomfortable emotion. Anxiety, tension, uh that kind of thing so again it's very simple so yeah that's all two ingredients doubt and discomfort under this the c column a compulsion is something the person will do to either reduce their anxiety or to gain certainty there's a function to that behavior so anything that does that 
is considered a compulsion, I'll quickly give you five major areas where you find it. Number one is, I think Menachem said, repeating something. You do something, I get this feeling, a thought, maybe I didn't do it right, I feel uncomfortable, do it again. Then we have checking. People could check the lock, they could check their pulse, they could check their tefillin. All those behaviors come from a thought that maybe it's wrong, maybe it's unlocked, some kind of dangerous thought. So for someone who learns the Gemara, that a um, a head that doesn't have tefillin on it is, uh, is in trouble. So they can get, oh my gosh, maybe it's in the wrong place. That's checking. Number three, here comes the interesting ones. Reassurance seeking. That's when you involve someone else in getting your anxiety down or being sure. You ask your spouse, you ask your parent, you ask someone, you ask your friend. And the, the person being a nice person will say, yeah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. That just reinforces the cycle. That's called reassure, reassure. And that's where Rabbanim come into the picture. Talk about that later. Number four is an invisible compulsion, mental compulsions. So sometimes those person will get it down in their head and they'll just try to talk themselves out of it, logic, um, clarify things. So when people think that they're obsessing, really what they're doing is compulsing. They had a question and they're trying to answer it. And we don't see that. They just in their head, okay? And number the last one is, the fifth one is also invisible. It's avoidance. You avoid the situation in which the uncertainty could come up. So for example, there are people who uh, don't have any milchiks in their house. We're not going to have milk. There's no milchiks. That way, we won't get into any questions. We're just, we're not allowing the situation to come up. Somebody once never had any parv in their house because parv is very sneaky because it could go either way, become milchiks or become fleshiks without telling you. So these are all not doing something in order to avoid the uncertainty. So that is the basic framework. When we do treatment for OCD, what we're trying to do is help the person raise their tolerance for uncertainty. So just like there is uncertainty in the world in general, there's uncertainty in the world of halacha too. And I want to urge anybody to ask any question, no matter how strange or provocative you think it might be, please ask it. And Or if you think that I'm uh, going off the reservation, uh, yeah, call in and, and ask and challenge it uh, because that's what this is a conversation. No, that's why we're here tonight, exactly. You got yeah, it. Beautiful opening. I just want to clarify, after all the things you listed, I think we're basically all certified. So the question is not how we're going to get help. Uh, oh, well, certified that you don't have OCD, yeah. Yeah, most people have one of those things, if not all. So they seem pretty common to me. Just being honest. Okay, let's jump into polls and then we'll get in again. The way it works is anybody has a question, text Ashraparnas. Live questions go first. If we have time, we get to the text questions. A bunch of emails came in. We'll try to get to it. And Rev. Mishulam is here. He's the expert in the field of anxiety and OCD. If you have a question about yourself, about anybody, ask it. 
easier to answer and we get a lot of clarity on all these questions. Let's start the three question poll. Here we go. Three questions. Oh, I forgot what the poll is here. You know, you got it. You got it. Nachman, you see the poll? I forgot what the poll is. I, I now I remember. I'll tell you the poll afterwards. I'll tell you after, after I read the three. What percentage of people do you think have clinical certified OCD, in your opinion? Zero to 5% of 100 people, six out of 10 people, six out of 10 of 100, like six, six, six to 10, I meant, or higher than 10% of people. What's your opinion about clinical OCD? Second question, how do you deal with your anxiety? Four options, be honest, medication, substance abuse, immunovitachin, therapy. How do you deal with your personal anxiety on any level? Third question, do you feel Orthodox Judaism fosters OCD? Washing your hands, all the different things that we you know deal with. Yes, no, just it's an opinion. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong. Yes, no, definitely a contributing factor. Those are the three answers. The fourth poll, I'm sure I remember what I wanted to write. I wanted to make a question like this. Does this question bother you? Capital small, capital small, capital small, capital small, capital small, and do yes or no. That's what I wanted to do. Now I remember this. <laughs> Cruel. Yeah, but uh, obviously I forgot, so it wasn't meant to be. Okay, everybody answer these three questions, and then we'll review it together with Mishalom, and then we will get into live questions, live bunch of live over there, and um, try to cover as much as possible. Okay, five, four. So Mishalom, you can see what people are answering now, but they don't see it, and when I stop and I share with everybody, sees the final answer. So you see the way everybody on. Well, 565 people are contributing to their opinions, and we get to clarify. Isn't 400, that of them, 400 of them are my family members. They're just on many different devices, I think. Is this the, is this the, the schizophrenia? Which, which part of the? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's share the polls. Here we go. Share the results. Okay. What percentage of people do you think have clinical certified OCD? So we have... Wow, very interesting results. 28% and 28% both think 0 to 5 or 6 to 10. 43% of people, half the people think more than 10% of people, 1 in 10 people have clinical OCD. Ramashulam Epstein. Whoa. Correct answer. Uh, the correct answer is 2.4%. But wow. that is, I always thought that was a lot. That's 1 in 40 people. You're in a room, you're at a chasana, and there are 400 people there. You know, you got some cases, you know? It's probably a higher number that's not clinically uncertified. You know, it's probably well, well, what I mean is um, they have clinically significant OCD. So you can have subclinical OCD, uh, but that's not interfering with your life. So that's like quirks and things like that. Right. If it's subclinical. Okay, second question. Um, how do you deal with your anxiety on any level? 18% of people say they take medication. 3% of people do substance abuse. 49% of people over here, Amuna Batachan, that's the winning answer. And 30% of people are therapy. Michelle, what's your thought on this question? So um, it goes like this. Here's my opinion, and uh, that's all I can give you. Um, I would assume that Amuna and Batachan is the answer for anxiety that's not, uh, not its order. So that means as Jews, our first uh, our first line of defense, so to speak, or our our perspective on life, the Muna But when you when you cross that line into um, clinical uh, area, Muna 
not only is not the answer, but it could be a problem. And I'll tell you why. Because let's say somebody is um, has anxiety and they're told that they, they need to have a moon and metaphan and they continue to have anxiety. So now they have two problems. They have, they have anxiety and they don't have a moon and metaphan. So we have to be very careful uh, when dispensing that kind of advice. Uh, I think that uh, Amun is is going to be the answer when you don't have an anxiety disorder. Um, and therapy and medication, of course, has their has their place, and we're going to talk about that later, probably um, when medication is in order. Um, in OCD treatment, medication is considered a partial. It only gives you a partial response. So even if the person goes to a psychiatrist and they and they prescribe medication, they will always tell you do CBT, do cognitive therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, because the medicine alone is not going to do it. And very often the therapy alone can do it. The last, the last poll is, do you feel Orthodox Judaism forces OCD? 17% of people say yes, 34% of people say no, and a whopping 49% of people say definitely a contributing factor. So Amazing. definitely feel definitely ups the ante. What's, yeah. what's your opinion? So, so um, there hasn't been definitive research, but but uh, all the research that's done so far indicates that there is no correlation between uh, religiosity and OCD. Now, I don't know if they did their study in Lakewood, New Jersey, or Williamsburg, or wherever, in, in these enclaves of uh, of, uh, of from Haredi Jewry, but it happens to be um, across cultures even, there's no, there's no correlation. And there, there, there was one study, you'd have to ask my friend, uh, shout out to Jed Sieve, who's a researcher, from researcher at Swarthmore. Uh, I think that in some studies show that religiosity actually, there was a little bit less OCD. But the thing, it's easy, it's easy to see it that Yiddishkeit is a fertile ground, a fertile ground for OCD, because we have so many rituals and this and that and the other. Um I would say that if a person's in an environment that's very high pressure and the pressure is about um pressure is about being uh, uh, adherence to halacha, maybe I can see how that might, um, you know, bump it up a little bit. But in terms of the research, it's just um, if the, the re actually that they say, if you did, if they didn't have it about the Yiddishkeit and they weren't from, they would have it about something else. That's, uh, that's the conventional wisdom. So. Okay, Rabbi Shalom. Yes. Here, we have a lot of questions people want to ask. Please grill him. Let's do it. You're on first. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to ask you that I have an 18-year-old daughter who has OCD tendencies her whole life. She constantly stresses about making things straight and neat around our home. Should I let her or should I tell her to leave it alone? At what point should I be intervening? Perfect question. 
thank you for bringing that to the conversation. So, um, are we assuming you haven't said anything yet? Because you're a saint, if you. <laughs> I um I try not to say anything. I really try. Amazing. Um. Okay, so here's how you you would uh you would approach that. You would. I, I, the first question I would ask is how upset would she be if it's not straight? That's number one. Number two is if you have a, obviously communication, if you could have this conversation with her, what is she free, afraid might happen if it's not straight? And once she is a, if you can get that question answered, then you'll know um, if it's a sensory thing, does she just like things straight? Or is she afraid that if it's not straight, some train is going to go off the track somewhere? <clears throat> That's not psychotic. A person can have magical type OCD or suspicious, uh, superstitious <laughs> OCD. So um, that would be the first person you would do, have a conversation with her. But, but let's say... She said, I just don't like it. I don't like often it. her answer. Oh, I don't like the way it feels. So, so then you have a you have a child who has a sensitivity, which you as a parent are probably concerned that it's going to get in the way of her life moving forward, relationships, functioning. And um at some point she or she's going to realize either with your help or not that it's it's going to interfere with her life and there's something she could do about it in that particular case it would be there are skills that people could learn to tolerate discomfort like mindfulness type skills things like that so uh you know i always ask people uh, you know is this something you like How's it working out for you? So if the person says there's something they don't like, then the next thing is, uh, well, let's let's get it taken care of, you know? So the first question is, what might happen if it's not straight? Do you think anything crazy might happen? Just like it doesn't like, you just don't like the way it feels. Okay, would you rather not have that be part of your life? And then there, there, is, there are therapists who uh, can teach these skills. Does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah, beautiful answer. Okay, Let's great. Next live question. We'll try to knock out a few lives now, and then we'll try to get some of the email questions. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes, and it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance. Okay, I'm you. One second. 
Okay, you're on. Sorry about that. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Mm -hmm. um, this is a question more of like related to OCD. Uh, I would maybe I would call it self-posed OCD. Um, I just want to know, you know, this is a maybe a lesson I didn't learn properly in yeshiva, or I took it to an extreme, and I want to know what is the. I never got the real answer. It's more of like when tragedies or chas v'shalom, where there's a situation which is looks like a, there's a danger, we have to daven for something, and uh, we're just reading to Hillam and reading and reading that the things should get better. And even after we finish reading and we cry or whatever, um, I tend to just like, I'm still worried. What if my tefillah didn't get answered? And even mm -hmm. if it did get answered, maybe it didn't go all the way and didn't deserve to get answered. Or even I had the same thing when the, you know, the Yom Taibim come up from Elul. You know, I prepare from Elul. I start so hard. I prepare from Rosh Hashanah. Get a little bit exhausted Rosh Hashanah, but I push until Yom Kippur. And then Yom Kippur, they say, this is the end. And then... You know, after Yom Kippur, they say Sukkot is to elevate our Yom Kippur, and I, I just sometimes feel I, I got the lesson wrong. I know there is a right lesson there, but there's this like this feeling of it's never enough. Like, how do I like take that lesson, whatever I did, appreciate it, but also strive more the way the Chachamim want us to, um, and balance everything properly and appreciate what we did, and also have this drive to continue on. So. Um... Sounds like your heart's in the right place. There's a lot of times when people are worried about their davening. I don't know if this is you. They have a an exaggerated sense of responsibility. So a lot of times, uh, even this happens a lot with children, where they say to them in their class, and then unfortunately, uh, the person, whatever is nifter, whatever the case is, and one and one one kid out of forty will will think it's their fault, and uh, adults as well. You know, uh, it, it, the, the, these chain telephone calls that go around are fantastic, except for my clients, because how could you not dom for the? It just took one little tweet to get them over the edge, and you were not present, so. So there's often an exaggerated sense of responsibility. Um, that's I, I don't know if I sense that that much from the, from what you said. Uh, you know, one of my clients once uh, went to Rev uh, Yaakov Meir Schechter. Is that his name in Eretz Yisrael? Yeah. And uh, one of the things he said was, kedusha," means that if it comes with pressure has no roots in holiness. And, you know, this is a very holy person, okay? For those of you who don't know him, he's uh, he's a huge Tamachacham, Mashpia, Kobol, everything. And he's telling this person, Akhlai, I heard it straight from the person, like, this is not, and you know this, whoever's asking the question, that's not the way it's supposed to be. So, um, Let's take, let's see, Roshani Yom Kippur. So the person is worried. What are you worried about on your, Roshan? Like you're, you're not dominating? No, enough. no, no. It's just the speech I get. You know, Roshana, we forget about our accomplishment in El. And when it comes to Yom Kippur by Ne'ila, if we're tired, they give that, I get that speech uh, that now is the end and everything goes by now. And we 
better put in all our koichas. And if I'm tired, I feel guilty. Like I forget about all everything I accomplished till now. And then comes to Shana Rabba, they say, now is the end. And then comes Simchas Tered, say, no, no, this is the peak of everything. And like everything depends on this. Right. So, so here's this first question. Is your Avedis Hashem going up as a result of these speeches or going down? I'm just pushing and pushing. I mean, maybe neither not up and not down. I mean, yeah, out of breath, out of breath. Let me let me quote you. Uh, someday, this is uh, something that the Stipler wrote to Rianco Greenwald. It's translated into English. Um, let's see. Ordinarily, a person may occasionally find himself in a situation where it's difficult to carry out a mitzvah so that he cannot perform it with the usual appropriate pleasure. This is natural. He sees this as a challenge and on the next occasion will carry it out with pleasure since he usually does mitzvahs for pleasure. However, the person who, whenever he performs the Ratzon Hashem, finds his soul and his energies contorted by feelings of discomfort, fear, tension, and misery, overdoing that mitzvah and on the contrary that's how it is for him most of the time and to carry out commandments out of joy is the exception then this is clear proof that this was not Hashem's intention this is from the Sefer I didn't find the exact page yet okay this is a Sefer with the correspondence of Bianca Greenwald to, to the stipler so the person uh you hear these um what well, I used to call them uh, scare your pants off schmoozes, you know? Um so there are other ways to motivate yourself. And um so either so here's how it's this is a good case where if it's not clinical, you should be reading different svarim. How there is actually a sefer written all about El Roshana Yom Kippur, the Simcha part of it. It's called Simcha Smayadecha. And or the other the other possibility is that there's something that go, there you have you have anxiety, and therefore anything that you hear, you you're afraid not to do it. So you're very easily influenced. So in that case, I would explore that. But you have great insight. You know that it's not healthy. So awareness is the first step. Okay, let's jump to one uh, email question. We have a bunch of lives still, but I want to get through some of these questions. Okay, Michelle? Go ahead. I was diagnosed with OCD, but I also feel a lot of anxiety as well. And I get some clarification. What is the difference between OCD and anxiety, and can they overlap? Sure. So uh, the answer is you can win both and have both anxiety and OCD, but they're very similar. Uh, so OCD is only when you have those two things that I described, an obsession followed by a compulsion. And the compulsion is basically one of those five things. When a person has anxiety, they're excessively anxious about normal things. And 
the response of the anxiety for the most part when you have general anxiety disorder is avoidance. So that person is not necessarily having intrusive thoughts uh, that they don't want. They feel like they're just pushing themselves into your head. Uh, that's that's not anxiety is just worry, worry, worry. And if I can get my if I sometimes people will organize their life around not having to worry about certain things. So they will limit their life and start doing fewer things in order not to be anxious. And the anxiety will be feel like just worrying a lot. OCD is where you have this boom, you know, some really um, almost like outrageous, sometimes outrageous, but a thought that you're, you're much more, you're much more aware that there's something wrong with the thought most of the time. So you can have both. You could be a, a, a very uh, worried person and um, and then that would be, you know, you'd have to work, you have to deal with that. And uh, OCD is, uh, you can have that as well, right? But the, I would say, though, I would treat them both very similarly, where the person who has anxiety, instead of avoiding whatever it is they're afraid of, we would purposely accept whatever the worst case scenario is and practice accepting it. And we'll get to, if you want to learn about how the treatment works, so we'll get to that, uh, what what exposure works. But the idea would be, just like an OCD, we we, we get the person to do exercises where he, he, uh, he faces the worst case scenario. So to an anxiety, I would do the same thing, even though it's not, it's, it's uh, more normal type things. Beautiful. Okay, um, let's take another live question. You're on. Oh, hi. Um, my question is, I have a nine-year-old daughter who since the end of the summer, she started displaying OCD tendencies. Like she'll just ask me, is it okay if I touch the table and then I touch my mouth? Is it okay if I, the paper touch my hand and then my hand touch my mouth? Like all these like reassurance questions. And then like, she'll also like in general, like everything is like, is it dangerous? Like, oh, um, not even with touching, just in general. Like, is it dangerous that my neck, let's say my shirt was too tight on me? Like something happened, everything that's dangerous. So my first question is, it came out of the blue. So like, should I be worried like, why all of a sudden it happened number two is like how do i respond because i don't want to feel like i'm enabling her every time i say oh it's okay or what do you think she'll say like she knows it's okay but like she still keeps asking me so like i really have like no idea what to do so you just like tell me like a guideline or do you think she needs therapy or could i do myself okay perfect that is a question that a lot of people can relate to so i'm glad you asked it So this is a very good uh, time where we could talk about what we call accommodation. And that is where parents and spouses feed into the OCD and um, feed into the OCD and uh, it just continues and continues and continues. Um, sudden onset OCD, it depends how sudden it is. Like if it's really, really sudden, there's something called pandas. I don't know if 
Yeah, so that is pediatric autoimmune uh, sort of associated right. with strep, something like that. Right. So, I mean, just the thing is, she did have, she has like, she always had a drop in anxiety, like it's not, but she never had this kind of like OCD thing. It's always like a little on the nervous side, but not like anxiety. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so nine years old is, um, is actually, um, right around the age that it comes out in children. So, so number one, accommodation. So what do you do if you're not going to accommodate? You're going to feel really mean if you don't, right? That's what you hear from mm-hmm. all the mothers. So um, I would do this first. There are a lot of good books for parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, she's nine. So there's a lady named Dawn Hubner. H-U-E-B-N-E-R, something like that, on Amazon, what to do, a whole series of what to do when uh, you worry too much, and then there's one specifically about OCD, what to do when your mind gets stuck, and it's they're very, very well done, all about all different CBT, but kids read it. You read it with your okay. kid, or your kid can read it themselves. Then there's a book, um, uh, freeing your child from OCD by a lady named Tamar Chansky. Now, if you read that book, that's for parents, you will number one understand what's going on beautifully, and uh, and then you'll know when it comes time to seek treatment. If the it, when any diagnosis in what we the DSM, which is the psychological uh, manual. The menu of psychological disorders, uh, it always says, does it interfere with their social, occupational, or academic function? So that is usually the line where, you know, the person needs help. So you would, I would, um, once again, uh, have a conversation. Are you afraid? What are you afraid of? You know, they're, they're usually pretty articulate. And then um, how much does it bother you? And then, uh, you know, would you like to speak to somebody? But I don't have a problem. I'm not like, uh, you know, I'm not for schlepping every kid to therapy. So, you know, you could, you, you could, you could try to, inter- you know, do something yourself. But the idea is that, um, parents who have an anxious child need to model two things acceptance of uncertainty and acceptance of imperfection so you could look for opportunities to um uh to say oh you know oops this happened or oh well or I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but we'll figure it out when the time comes. Meaning, you're not you're not contingently planning for the future. So you say those things out loud. You're modeling that you can live life with some uncertainty. You don't have to know everything right now, but uh, definitely keep an eye on it. I'm sure. Okay, beautiful. Let's go to the next question. Here we go. You're on. Hi. Um, I have like tendencies to be OCD, and sometimes it gets. It makes me feel like I dislike some mitzvahs, like, for example, like mikvah or other things. How do I get past that? Okay. We got quite a few emails like that, by the way. Okay. So 
I don't know. I mean, if I was terrified when I did something, I wouldn't like it either. But it doesn't mean you don't like the mitzvah. It just means you have anxiety. So, but, you know, this is what I said before. <laughs> you don't want to have two problems. Just have one problem, anxiety. You don't have anxiety problem and the Yiddishkeit problem. So um, you probably don't have a Yiddishkeit problem, especially since you're worried about having a Yiddishkeit problem. So you probably <laughs> don't have a Yiddishkeit problem. But, but the, there has to be a way for you to do that mitzvah without it being um, such a burden. It's not meant to be that way. So I'm not sure uh, if you're having uh, a lot of doubts about something. Do you have to repeat things? Do you, mikvah is a huge, huge topic in OCD. Um, there are women who spend hours upon hours in the in the mikveh, you know, doing the chafifa and uh, preparations, and and there's also a lot of other uh, other uh, other rules. Um, every every um, young married guy who comes into my office, I say, okay, so you keep your eyes closed in the bathroom. Oh yeah, eyes closed, lights off, you know, so because they don't want to see nothing. So, uh, I don't know, you know, you got to find out if, does it sound like you? Do you have doubts? Do you have intrusive doubts about what's going on, what you're doing? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so those doubts are just produced by anxiety and there's no end. I mean, you cannot answer every single one of those questions, but if you answer one, there's another one right behind it. They just go on forever. So at some point you and me and everyone else have to okay now if you don't have anxiety you sort of intuitively know when to stop but if you have anxiety it pushes you and pushes you and pushes you even in in <clears throat> even already as far back as the mishnayis we have this idea in in uh, two places but one of them for sure, two places. One of them in Masechus Psachim, where it talks about checking for comets. So they say, well, what about if you check the room and you saw a rodent, right? Uh, you have to worry that it took comets from a, one place and put it into the place that you checked. So the Mishnah ends off and says, well, if you have to worry about that, then you have to worry about it that brought from someone else's house. And if you worry about that, you have to worry that it brought about from, from uh, the next uh, neighborhood. And if you worry about that, you have to worry about brought some Muhammad from the uh, next city. And the Mishnah ends, Im Kain Ain Sof. There's no end. So we even see in the Mishnayas, they're not telling you, we guarantee you there's no Muhammad in that room. They're just saying there's no end to that question. So you got to let it go. So but knowing that is, if you have OCD, knowing that doesn't help because whenever there's a conflict between logic and emotion, I'm betting on emotion every time. So uh, you would need a, a therapist to design exercises for you where you could literally raise your tolerance for uncertainty and discomfort, almost like a... Um, a thermostat. So 
when the thermostat is this high, so the so the the air conditioning doesn't kick on until the heat reaches a certain point. If you have OCD, it's down here, and all your worry starts kicking in at a much lower level. So actually, behavioral exercises could just raise that, and then you won't start getting nervous till around the area where other people might start getting nervous or ask a Shiloh. So you sound like a uh, very textbook person who could be helped. Is that helpful? Yes, thank you. It's lucky. What happens if uh, you don't trust your therapist? Oh, you mean like a Harry from Scranton? That kind of therapist? Well, he wants to make you feel, wants to make you feel good. But at oh, the end of, oh, I see. But at the end of the day, you're still not sure if you did it right. Oh, that's a beauty. And um, that is true. The, you know, I have a brother who looks exactly like me. This might not even be Michelle Epstein. Okay, which I do say that sometimes, but but that's a fair question. So how should I trust my therapist? So if I'm the therapist, I would do this. Um, no, let's do let's say normal halakhic behavior is on a continuum, right? A uh, line, right? So down here are people who well down there, people who don't care, right? Up here are people with OCD and I always say the option of a Rebbe because he's super special. Now in the middle, all this is norm normative halachic behavior, okay? I am gonna ask the client, or in this case, this person right here, if you would do X, what do you think? You know, do you think it falls in the middle? I'm not. I'm not going to be somebody's uh, rough. I let the. I let the person decide. And there's a good opportunity to point out two things. One is I have something called the Shiloh protocol. Okay, I don't know if you uh, this woman asks a lot of Shilas, but that's typically what happens. So, a person can say, "Would a non-anxious person have this Shiloh?" Okay. Now, sometimes a person can answer that question. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm okay. It just means we're learning what is an acceptable level of risk. So when I say, answer the question and say, a non-anxious person wouldn't have this question, what that means is a non-anxious person would accept this risk. Now, if you're really, really anxious, the person will say, I can't, I, I don't know. How can I guess? And I say, that's what a guess is when you don't know. But I can't, I can't, I can't. So then you do what's called the gun test. This is all part of therapy, but I'm telling it to you for a reason. And uh, so the gun test is you have a gun pointed at your head. What would you guess? Would an anxious person have this question or not? Now, I'm telling you this because, because I, this and the next thing I'm going to tell you I ran by many, many Rabbanim. And they say, sure, the person, the person could guess. The, the Rav, Rabbanim, who I asked, they're not telling you that you're guessing right. You have to always remember that. They're telling you that's a legitimate way of conducting yourself in halacha. I don't know if you're going to be right or going to be wrong. The Rav doesn't know 
the specific question, but they're giving you a mahalach, a, a, a pathway to keep the halacha with some level of uncertainty. And the second one is, what do I think the rub would say? This is an interesting one. So the way the question goes is, you just left the rub's office or you just hung up the phone. What did he say? And you have to go by, what do you think he said? But I don't know. So guess, I can't guess. Gun test. Now, it's interesting that Rabbi Forsheimer loved this one. I was really surprised. He said, yeah, I like that one better than the other one. What would the Rav say? Now, you have to be careful because you're talking to a Lamdan. That's why I say you left the Rav's office because if you... Once, if you're in the rubs office, okay, he's saying this, I'm saying this, he's saying this, I'm saying this. You, you have to go through the whole thing with the guy. No, you left. What did he say? So uh, there, there you could, you know, that, that's that's a, um, oh, you, the question was, how do you trust a therapist? That's how. I didn't, I didn't say anything. I didn't paskin any halachas. I just said, well, what do you think? You, I think it's not good. I think uh, I didn't do it good. Didn't work out. Okay. So I have to do it again? Uh, if that's what the halach is, that's what you have to do. But, but that's that. not, the, the, person, the person knows when they're being honest and when they're not being honest. Now, if they think in OCD, 99.9% of the time, it's a doubt. So I'll say, are you afraid you didn't do it good or you know? And they'll say, I'm afraid. So that scenario where they say, I'm sure, which is 1% of the time, I say, go ahead, ask the Shiloh or do it again. But it's rarely the case. So if I'm afraid that there's chametz in my house, after I made Vedika's chametz, I could just tell myself it's fine. Right. So I don't know, but it's fine. All I know is you don't have to do anything. I should check again. It's not fine. I can't live. Like, I can't go and put Pesach like that. Because you're anxious? Oh, yeah. Right. So what we're going to do is, if you can't go into Pesach like that, what we're going to do is, you, you, you have to do a, a, the cure for OCD is, here's the sentence. Frequent and prolonged exposure to the feared stimulus results in habituation. Habituation means getting used to something. So just telling myself something is not going to work. You have to go to Michelle Epstein, and in, in, uh, in August, he tells you to take a handful of Cheerios, close your eyes, and throw them so you don't know where they go. And you're already preparing in August for the possibility that there's comets in your house. Now, what do you mean? How could you do that? Well, I don't know. Do you have children? Do they eat Cheerios? Need I say more? I mean, do you know where they're putting all their Cheerios? Well, I try to make sure. Yeah. Well, your kids are going to eat therapy. If you're chasing them around, I'll take with your Cheerios. So... What you see? What I just did? I just made it normal. I didn't even. I didn't bask in a shayla. People have kids. They throw Cheerios, right? 
So what? You, so it takes a while, a, a little, a few months of treatment, not that many, to gradually get used to the uncertainty. So just saying something to yourself isn't going to do it. You have to do these exercises. But it really works very, very quickly. Very quickly. Uh, it, it surprises me still how quickly. But it's not a one-time thing. It's a. It's really a getting used to the water kind of thing. So you have to get into the water and stay there in order to get used to it. If you jump out and do a compulsion or do some safety behavior, you're not going to get used to the water. So uh, I don't know. So the therapist really does not have to have anything to do with what the halacha is. So um, if the therapist is is good, you know, you don't have to have this fake sperm screen behind you to uh, boost your credentials. Yeah, you could just ask them, well, what, what do you think everyone else does? And, you, and that's it. So everyone else does that. Or sometimes when it comes to the davening question, I think I'll show you, someone mentioned it. Does do you, what do you think your Rosh Shiva does? What do you think he does when he washes his hands? Does he wash it, you know, 50 times? I'm not, we're not saying those things to talk the person out of it. We're saying that to show the person that there's uncertainty that everyone lives with. Or your Rosh Shiva didn't get a memo how to do Nagavasar perfectly. Everyone's in the same boat. So, it's just about understanding. It's all about the level of uncertainty or risk and looking around and seeing, okay, what's a normal level of risk to accept? I'm sure we have a lot of questions live and we have still a lot to cover. We barely covered anything. So we need to put it both. You get to shorter? No, 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 whatever. Speak faster. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, you're on next. Hi, I wanted to know um, why it's like so um, looked down upon in the Jewish world with someone has OCD or anxiety, um, more as in the non-Jewish world, it's like they're taught about it or their teachers are just much more open-minded about it. And let's say, I'll give you an example, like my sister, she suffered with OCD when she was younger and because she wasn't taught about it um, when she was younger, she felt so embarrassed to like embrace it and now that she's older, she's having so many issues. And let's say also in like the Shadokim world, let's say if someone has OCD or anxiety or is on medication, like automatically there's something wrong with them. Well, that's a fair question. Uh, it's a little more of a um, cultural, sociocultural question. I don't know the answer. It, uh, awareness is growing. People know more about it. I don't still don't think they're talking about mental health, except for I teach in a base Yaakov, ninth to tenth grade. So in our school, we talk about it a lot. We have Coach Menachem. He also saying we have Coach Menachem. We talk about it. Oh yeah, right. We have this, right? Exactly. So, uh, but but all uh, but it is true. I don't know if they look down at it. You know, it, it maybe yes or maybe no. When it comes to Shaduchim, though. It's getting better. Well, all can, all right, what can I tell you? It's getting better. Um, 
the Rabbeim and Rashivas are getting more, uh, having a better understanding of it. And what happens is, let's say a person discloses on a shidduch uh, that they have OCD or anxiety, they will give the other person the therapist's phone number. And so if the therapist is fair, the 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 person will have a chance. Uh, if the other person is not tolerant of the person's anxiety, then shidduch is not for them. One second, one second. All right, sorry, continue. I, I, I wanted to be concise. I hope, you know, it's a, it's a fair question. Okay. Okay, let's go to the next question. Hi. Hello, I'm I'm talking from South America, Chile. So thanks for the for the for this uh, opportunity to ask. I, I was wondering if have you heard about kids that have been diagnosed by panda by OCD caused by pandas, and have you seen What's the treatment that you have seen most successful? How right. much about pandas, but I, I wanted to ask about that. Right. So uh, I don't have a, any direct experience with pandas. Uh, the treatment, from what I know, is long-term antibiotics. Uh, but I also think that they need this uh, cognitive behavioral treatment as well. I don't think that the antibiotic, I don't think it remits, goes away uh, that quickly with the, uh, with the, with the antibiotics, but uh, it's becoming more and more an accepted diagnosis, not 100%. Uh, it's, not, it's not only strep now, it's other neurological uh, type things. So the typical treatment is antibiotics and cognitive behavioral treatment uh, therapy. Okay, Mardik. Let's go next. Okay, sorry, on. Uh, hi. hi. I was I was just curious. You mentioned earlier, like the idea of um, exaggerated sense of responsibility some people you know may carry. I just wondered if there are other underlying causes of OCD, like the, you know, like a, a, maybe there's a guilt, but I just wondered people who've been abused, uh, need for. Yeah, you know, I was thinking of even somebody with an eating disorder trying to you know maintain a certain sense of control you know unfortunately you get trying to control others that way as well but do you find that that you know sometimes there is an underlying that has to be treated somebody might even be i don't know genetically just you know predisposed but but i'm even just talking environmental factors right um, so um there's a significant minority of cases that have a trauma back <coughs> trauma mm -hmm. Um, so we, uh, what we try to do is, uh, what's need, what, what needs treatment? We don't necessarily treat the trauma first, just because mm -hmm. they had trauma, mm -hmm. but if we think that that's the, the main issue, then we'll treat the trauma. But I have to say quite openly, we often don't, and now we don't ignore it, but we often treat the OCD First, it's the most prominent symptom, and it will CBT will help. And but we have our eye; we always monitor for trauma. Um, 
I don't know if it's always um, control though, or response. That's a little psychodynamic, but it, 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 meaning a person can have a trauma in one area and have OCD in something completely unrelated. And it's not control about everything. It's a very specific idiosyncratic thing that they're focused on. But yes, trauma for sure. I mean, um, probably five years ago now, we were at a conference and one of my friends was going over to researchers and asking them, could you please do more research on trauma and OCD? But I think everyone agrees that there is there, there is a, a decent percentage minority of cases that, that have trauma, but they're not directly related. So what that means is that a stressful event could trigger OCD, but it may not be the cause of the OCD. It could be, like you mentioned, like that's a, that's fair to check. Responsibility, oh, did like, I don't know, did someone die on their watch or something, you know? It's fair to look for that connection. Often it's it's not there. It's more like there's a stressful event and the person just, uh, the, their OCD gets triggered. But that's that's fair, that happens. That, does that clarify yeah. it? Yes. Okay, you're on, hi. Hi, um, some of you have heard my story, some of you have not. I am 32 years old and I lost my mom about three years ago. And my anxiety has been through the roof. My PTSD shot up when COVID spun around. I'm in a facility and we're having a little bit of a winter spike with COVID. And I can't control my anxiety. I can't control my PTSD. I'm losing it. Well, it's a good thing I'm here. <laughs> uh, I feel terrible. Does the death of your mother have to do with COVID? Are they related? No, they don't know something different, but it happened like around six months before COVID hit. And do you know what you have so, PTSD from? No. It just, I have, I've had a lot of things happening in my life, like deaths back, back to back, surgeries back, back to back. COVID popped up, I had COVID. And then when we spiked again, I tested myself three times in one day because I thought I had it. Right. Is that what you're anxious about or you're just anxious in general? I'm anxious in general. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we can't do treatment on the show, but I cannot resist asking, is there a content to your anxiety or anxiety about, are you anxious about something specific? Life. Oh, it's a four letter word. Did you know that? Yes. Uh, Anything specific about life? what's around the corner next for me because i'm also disabled on top of everything so i've been having surgeries back to back to back i lost both my parents my uncle my grandfather all in the last 22 years yeah okay so you're anxious about life but you really mean the other thing yes so uh i'm not saying the other thing i'm trying to spin it of course of course so um well, I feel terrible for your situation, but the same rules apply. The same rules apply. That means you can tell us more than anyone else that life is full of uncertainty. I don't have to tell you that. You could tell me that, mm-hmm. right? So the thing is that there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. That is part of the human condition. 
how we relate to that, that, that idea, which is sobering, right? Uh-huh. How we relate to that really determines our quality of life. Now, you know, you've been, you've, you've been, you know, face to face with some very, very difficult uh, circumstances. The, I'll, I'll quote a, 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 someone called the, uh, oops, sorry about that. No, we, now we know we're telling the truth. Uh, the, the, I'll quote the, the Gera Rebbe, the Imri Emes, one of the Rebbe's, he was in, lived in uh, Europe. So he said the following, I'll say it in Yiddish and then I'll say it in English, if I can. He said, now I have to spit out all my teeth. In English, it means God gives pain, but suffering depends on the person. So it's a very profound statement between distinguishing between pain and suffering. So suffering is determined by how we relate to the pain. Now, he didn't mean to blame the victim, of course, but he's just making a very important distinction between now. I don't, I don't know what I would tell someone like you who's really, really been through, been through a lot. Let's say someone has a, a tinnitus, right, ringing in the ears. You ever hear that disorder? So it's very clear that the more the person is is fighting with it and paying attention to it and wishing it wasn't there, the worse it is, right? So how he's relating to it will determine that person's quality of life. And one more thing, and then we'll move on. They actually did a study of people after surgery, medical issues. I think that, I don't remember, it was a knee surgery or hip surgery, and they rated their, their quality of life. One group scored very differently than the other group. And one group, was their mindset was, I can't believe how much this hurts. How do I get rid of this pain? I can't believe it. I would be doing this and this and this if I didn't have this. Those people were not doing well. Then you had the other group whose mindset was, oh my gosh, this hurts like heck. This must be what knee surgery feels like. Oh my gosh, okay. That's what knee surgery is. What would I like to do today? Now, of course, it's easier said than done, but I'm just trying to illustrate how how attitude and outcomes medically were proven were shown to be different. So, um, I, I wish I could help you more, you know, in this uh, in this in this format. But but it's all about embracing uh, that that part of life that we have no control over. So I do wish you the best. and beautiful beautiful really really nice okay next slide question you're on okay i'm Jean dove here um just very i guess maybe basic question for those of me trying struggling to figure it out exactly where's the line when it's kosher i guess kosher anxiety healthy urashamayim um and when do we say no this is something that needs some sort of therapy treatment just help us, whether it's for ourselves or people we know. Right. So, I want to I couple that with another question, if that's okay. Go ahead. Okay, so let's put that question together with a Davana very long answer because I need to make sure I have Kavana by, by the first bracha. 
My Rebbe told me once that if I overdo it, I, I once that that I overdo it, but it isn't something that a must. If I'm not, I'm not Yotzer Davening. If I don't put the full kavanah on the first bracha, would you call this OCD? Okay. So uh, I was waiting for this question. It took a lot longer than I expected. Uh, I think someone uh, actually typed in on the chat. Uh, OCD could cover up uh, from Kai or from Kai could cover up OCD, maybe. So how do you know? Was that the question? So, uh, it goes like this. Uh, let's say uh, there's two ways to look at it. As an outsider, so we would ask, okay, is this is this is it proving the person's avoided Hashem or not? Okay. Actually, I had this conversation with the Matasio Solomon. Should uh, should it should be well. And um, this is uh, this is one of the things we came out with. Is it enhancing your avoided Hashem or detracting? Number two is that thing about what we read from the sniper. That's a general, general, in theory. But I was asking the, the kid, this bachar or whoever, are you responding to doubts? Or are you trying to have kavana? Um, do you feel like you're forced to do what you're doing? Meaning if a person is straining themselves, to do something, they could be going towards something, but they could also be running away from something. So they're, you want to find out what they're doing. You know, are they running away or this is something that they want? When we're talking about OCD, they, we use the word ego dystonic, meaning they don't want it. It just, it's not me, meaning, uh, Let's say a person is getting thoughts of hurting people, like aggressive OCD, or right? It's ego dystonic. They feel it feels that it's not. They feel like it's not them. Then there are thoughts that are ego syntonic. It feels like, yeah, this is me. So, so the second question was, do you feel like you're forced? Meaning, I'd rather not be doing this, but I'm doing it. And sometimes I'll ask the question. Are you thinking about Hashem when this is going on? Now, believe it or not, sometimes before the question is even out of my mouth, the person says no. They're they're being Ivid the word the words or being Ivid uh, perfectionism, not Hashem. So, um, do I? What would, how was the question? Do I have O? Does it, do I have OCD? I just want to die. I'm in a long way. Well. It's a little tricky, depending on the age, because it's a fair because developmentally, a teenager will do something very, very intensely, and then integrate it in a more normal way. You know, if you go into any yeshiva, you see ninth, tenth graders there, shuckling up a storm. You know, and it's not necessarily pathological. So, uh, you you would uh, is the person in distress like is it is is uh is it bothering them you know sometimes if they see a kid davening and he has this pained look on his face if you're a rebbe 
it might be worthwhile going over and it's saying, hey, it looked like you're pretty uncomfortable. You know, wh what's going on? And let's say he says, like Usher said, well, I have to have Kavana. So when you hear the words have to, uh, for me, it's a red flag because the person might be this all or nothing type of thinker that it's if it's not perfect, it's not worth anything. And then you might be dealing with uh, perfectionism, which is a characteristic of OCD. It's not OCD. It's um, it could either be part of OCD or part of perfectionism in a in a different context, which I don't know if you want to get into now. So, uh, so minute, I want to get into it. I have a lot more I want to cover. There's a lot go, we didn't touch on. Go for it. Go go. Before that, I wanted to stop. He could be he's thinking about Hashem, but he might have an image that Hashem is there and waiting, so that's perfect. Or he's scared of Hashem, right? And Hashem is scary, and all of those ways of thinking that Hashem is not happy with what I'm doing. So he's thinking about Hashem, right? Right. So, so there, you know, you see, people are asking these questions. There's no way to find out unless you have a conversation with the person. You can't tell from the outside. That kid, you know, believe this is true. One of my clients went to Rav Gamliel Rabinovich, who, again, is this noted Makubal and Eretz Yisrael, a very holy person. And he said to him, why does everyone think that Hashem is sitting behind a machine gun waiting to shoot you down? Very graphic. So this kid may have the wrong idea about Hashem. Just may need a little tweaking in his Ashkafa. Uh, or if you talk to him more, there are certain people who feel obligation in a very oppressive way. Like when he, well, that's why I reacted to the word have to. Some people experience have tos as 500 pounds of pressure. Uh, so that might that would be a problem uh, because uh, you know there's no way you're going to do everything perfectly. So then you would sort of get the is this happened in other places? What's the scope of the problem? You know, do you have it in other places? And if it is, it, you're right. It could be thinking about Hashem, but um, it would be a different animal then. You know, it wouldn't be OCD. People uh, very often the person is. I see what you mean. Yeah, the person, very often Hashem is edit, they're so focused on getting it right that the relational piece of the mitzvah that they're doing is completely lost. So, and that's anything's possible. Go. Okay. Shalom, let's go on my live, and then we're going to cover all the other questions. We're going to try to catch the most. Okay, you're on. You three more live? Okay, sorry. You have all night tonight, right? No stress. Just confirming. Me? We yeah. start when we started. It was past my bedtime, so we're good. Three, the, the, the co-sponsor. Let's get real. Is by the koisel who didn't send in a gematria. Oh my gosh! He's not going to give a second. Okay, so it's perfect. We'll go straight to the second. Okay, live question. You're on. Hi, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Great platform. Really enjoy it. I have a 15 year old son who has definitely has OCD tendencies and anxiety. What happens when the compulsions that he does? are things that are actually considered healthy in our world. For example, um, he's a very big masman, he's a very big learner, not to, a, not, not to an unhealthy level. And we would like to take a trip to Eretz Yisrael for my son, a different son's bar mitzvah in March. 
And because of his anxiety of, of leaving his comfort zone and not wanting to fly necessarily and not wanting to go out of his comfort zone, he'll use the excuse to us like, well, I can't leave you. I can't miss yeshiva or, um, you know, other times where he's, there are certain things he's supposed to do. He what uses, is, you know, right. He, he uses the yeshiva, you know, the learning as his crutch, but we, we don't want to you know, we don't want to make him feel bad about the learning because he is a big masman and he is a good learner and he's not doing anything obsessive. So how do you balance like mm -hmm. helping him get exposed to other things, but not putting down things that are actually important? So this is a, this is a, tr not tricky, but in this case, you can call him out on his anxiety without putting down the learning because he's not learning compulsively. He's just, you know, he just doesn't want to own up to the fact that he's nervous about whatever it is that your family wants to do. So, uh, you know, I, I think you could do it without uh, knocking the yeshiva system. You know, uh, are, is it about yeshiva or is it about or about being afraid of flying? But if he says, I don't, if he really means that it's bittel tayra to go, then you're talking about somebody who um either has perfectionistic or anxious attitude towards the learning so uh i don't know if that would be called a, a compulsion it's not in that in that case it's just uh he's hiding behind it right i feel like he he uses he he uses his anxiety he uses his learning and his piety um which is great to cover up a lot of anxiety and help him avoid things. I see, but the but the piety and the and the learning is not the cure. It's just a way to hide from it. Is that, is that what you're Correct. saying? Oh, yeah. So well, he's was... he's good. He is pious and learned also at the same time. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. he is. I'm sure he is. So. Have, do you ever use the word anxiety with him? Yes. And we do what you mentioned about calling him out. We do call him out. Um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like it, but you see that he's uncomfortable when we say it. So you see this definitely element of anxiety, but he'll still try to convince us that it has nothing to do with his anxiety. It has to do with the fact that it's Bittal Torah and he can't miss his Rebbe Shear and he's gonna, you know, it's, it's gonna affect his learning. But my husband and I both believe from no, you know, raising this child from the beginning, and he's been anxious and OCD, that a lot of it is like, you know. Well, well, first of all, we, we can't weaponize anxiety and, um, you know, call people anxious. I would, I would just go with it. What does his Rebbe have to say? You know, just really? Little Torah? Let's see what the rabbi has to say. The one who's Mr. Torah, you know, I, I would, I would just call his bluff. Yeah, we, you know, we've done happen. that. And what has happened? <laughs> we said that to him and he said, yeah, I know my Rebbe's going to tell me to go. <laughs> All there right. we go. So, and the, oh, then that's a, such an opportunity. What might be happening here if your Rebbe would tell you to go and you don't want to go? Stroke your beard. Okay. And say, hmm. <laughs> I wonder what it is. I don't, you know, or your husband, right? I mean, you have a, he's handing it to you, right? Well, hmm. What you know, 
Another thing, if either you or your husband have anxiety, it would be a great time to uh, tell them. You know, mommy or tati or abba, whatever, you know, we struggle with this too. So that 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 is a very powerful uh, parenting tool. And it's a, also a good thing to do. I'm sure let's go take a little turn over here. Now that as you turn, it's 11 o'clock. We go with different angles over here. <laughs> It might sound crazy, but my spouse loses it when I chew gum. I mean, loses it out of proportion. First, is that something that you deal with? And second, isn't it the way to heal this problem through exposure? So shouldn't I be doing it to help her and exposure and help her get better by cases of gum? Yeah. So uh, we have a rule that uh, whoever that asking the question, I hate to disappoint you, but you can't chew gum on purpose. I mean, you could, but you're going to be sleeping on the couch. The, uh, the rule is we don't do exposures against the person's will. But to take the question a little more seriously, you're talking about misophonia, which is a very, very strong reaction to mouth sounds, chewing, burping, uh, gum, gum snapping, slurping, sometimes heavy breathing. There is no really good treatment protocol. I was just talking to some colleagues about it for misophonia. What they're doing now is there's a guy, Ezra Cohen, who's, uh, I think he's uh, he's uh, setting up shop in Lakewood. I think it's C-O-W-A-N, who uh, definitely does a lot of this work. I haven't. And what they do is a combination of exposures, according to the patient's uh, guidance, you know, what they could tolerate. But there's also a cognitive piece because people, to suffer from it, it's they feel like someone is doing it on purpose. It's like a it's personal. So there's a cognitive distortion there with misophonia that they feel like they're being attacked. So uh, they they do the cognitive piece to straighten that out, if possible, and then they try uh, not exposures, but they have the person practice mindfulness skills. And mindfulness basically is the ability to be in the presence of some kind of stimulus without having to react. It could be a sound, it could be a smell, it could be a temperature, it could be some kind of discomfort, it could be an internal feeling, an emotion. The basic idea is cultivating the ability to be in the presence of something which is unpleasant without necessarily having to react. That would be the treatment. Do you use mindfulness and meditation for OCD and anxiety? Oh, so we do. We do it for the discomfort part of it. That's one time we do it. There's also something called ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, which it, a big piece of it is mindfulness. And it's about this thing about getting used to the discomfort, and then doing something that you want, something that has value to you, commitment, right? Commit to your values. Um, then, um, but, but during the uh, exposure, what I do is I do ERP, straight exposure, exposure, exposure. And then if let's say the person is 85 to 90% better, so sometimes I don't want them always doing exposures. I'll have them just 
let the thoughts be there and not react to them. So I'll do it at the end of treatment or sometimes during the treatment if they have a hard time with the discomfort that the treatment entails. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another interesting question that came in. My husband likes all things super straight. For example, on Pesach, he needs the tape on the cabinets to be perfectly lined up. Is this classic case of OCD or for another example, the, the tassels on the carpet need to be all lined up straight? What would you call this? Oh, I would call this my father. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> he's probably listening. Um, right. So we'll, let's, but let's just look at it the same way. What is the person afraid might happen if they're not straight? That, yeah. So let's say the answer is something bad might happen. Probably not the case. Um, it makes me uncomfortable. So, um, Does it so it does it interfere with the person's uh, social academic occupational fun, functioning? The answer is yes, because marriage is social functioning, right? So it's very hard when the spouse asks the question. You understand? I'm spoiled. People walk into my office and like they're the ones who are the patient. You know, I don't have a the spouse coming in and complaining. Um. So sometimes. People are visually, it could be a sensory issue. And something the sense is um, visual, right? So I can be sensory hearing. I can be sensory tactile, right? The kids who don't like the tags in the clothing and so on. But it could also be visual. So um, you can be really thrown off by things that are so. Uh, depends how severe it is, how much is affecting your relationship. And once again, a person can, if they're interested, train themselves to be used to that discomfort. You know, I, I can't force the guy to, but, you know. Mm -hmm. There is, one second, there is one form of OCD that is called symmetry. That things have to be symmetrical. Um, so... I don't know exactly because I don't have so many of those cases. It would be OCPT, whatever it's called. Yes. So uh, let's either it could be the person's afraid something's going to happen, which would be OCD, or it could be sensory. I just don't like the way it looks. OCPD is obsessive compulsive personality disorder, where it's OCD is anxiety driven. And OCPD is rule-driven. So it's more about perfectionism, doing things the right way, not letting other people do things so they're not going to do it the right way. And um, You're saying basically everybody in Europe. Ha, very frugal. They don't spend money, except in emergencies. Um, so that's more uh, perfectionistic. Those people... There are different, um, let's see if I have it here. Yeah, they actually I have it right here. There's actually two types of OCPD. There's the anxious type, which you're describing. And then there's the hostile dominant type, which they drive everyone crazy. 
and they can actually be uh, a little bit abusive to others because they have to do it that way because it's the right way. And it could be that they're right, but still everyone having to toe the line is uh, they really uh, they they really um, are abusive. But anyway, so it, it it could be either one of those things. It could be OCPD, but that would be you would see that it's a it's a trait. Meaning, any personality disorder, it's a trait. It's part of their personality rather than something bothering them from the outside. You're That's afraid? pardon. You're afraid is the treatment afraid or it's also exposure? Um. The treatment is, it depends how severe the case is, but let's see, someone is a perfectionistic, we can uh, have them be imperfect. Like somebody who says the sub, the lunches must be ready the night before school, can't do it in the morning, even though you wake up early because it must be done at night, correct? Is that OCPD? Is that it? Well, they, it depends if he, it's rigidity. It's rigidity. not about the rule, it's being, being sticking to the rule. So I don't know if that's OCPD, but if it's interfering with the person's life, you can, I had once a client who was an engineer and they're all like that. So uh, this guy was from Finland, not Jewish. He didn't come from Finland to see me, but he was from Finland and everything was perfect, literally with the tassels and the cleaning everything and always on time to work. He drove the same route to work. He drove the same brand of a car every single time. It was amazing. And um, he did it himself. I mean, wait, I'm going to tell you. So what's good about him is he's followed the rules of treatment very well. Also, we, so we used it to our advantage. He mamish turned his life upside down. We did, we did he did everything illogically. He came a different time to work every day. He drove a different route to work every day. He bought a different brand car. He didn't dust his house until he could write his name on the dining room table. He didn't fold his laundry. And when he went to a movie, he came 15 minutes late. So he didn't know what was going on. This person became a chassid of mine. His whole life changed. Now I give him a ton of credit. He was able to do it. But everything, he had friends. He became the flexibility that he that he was able to learn really opened his life up. Now, not every case everyone has is so amenable to treatment. This is probably more unusual than usual, but he was a real engineer. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way. He had to uh, the manufacture things to tolerances of like thousandths of an inch. That's that's what it, that's what it, uh, that's what his job required. That's what his personality was like. So sometimes it's exposure. Um, sometimes there's a there's a tr there's a, a profound lack of insight, which is uh, common among a lot of personality disorders. And if that's the case, you have to take a different route. This is already clinical clinical material where. You just talk to the person about, okay, what will make your life work better? Forget about it. when these first people come into my office, the first thing we settle on is I say, you're going to be right every single time. Okay, so we're not arguing about right. You're always right. Now, it's good. It's, you should all use it. It's very good. Uh,
you know, takes a lot of fighting and say, nice, you're right. You could be right. No, not to be manipulative. You know, we're not going to get into it about whether you're right or wrong. So let's just assume you're right. And let's get down to business. Let's make your life better. You know, and they are right a lot of the time, unfortunately. They're like wives. Let's go. Next live question, you're on. Hi. Um, okay, so my husband suffers from extreme debilitating um, anxiety, depression, and OCD. Um, he's been through medications and stuff like that. For some reason, medications have a very hard time. They, they haven't been working, even though he's tried a lot of different things. But um, specifically, he's dealing with OCD around his eyesight. Um, he's hyper-focused on his vision. He sees glares, he um, strong colors. He went through a, a period where he was seeing black and white um, to the point where it's very hard for him to be awake because he's it's so debilitating. Um, he, he feels like he's the only person in the world with such an OCD. Um, and he actually asked me to ask the question. He was curious if you've heard of it and also what the treatment protocol would be for it. I have a client right now with it. Not kidding around. I, it's not 100% true because he's 99% better. But uh, like the floaters and the flashers and the, and the retina stuff is that what we're talking about? Like something wrong with his eye? So there's nothing actually wrong with his eye. Uh, no, you and right. I know. Yeah, right. But, yeah, sure. He knows that also. Yeah, of course he does. It's, most people have such good insight, you know? So, so the, the knowing that nothing's wrong, like we said before, has nothing to do with the disorder. You can know and know and know and you still be nervous. So I don't know if you're here since the beginning of the show, but the uncertainty is medicine, reassurance is poison. Now, I don't want to interfere with your relationship, but the only way out of this, and I don't know if he's had what kind of treatment he's had or the right treatment, or some people need inpatient treatment, you know, but until he accepts that he could go blind in five minutes from now, he's not going to get better. Now, it's, I say these things all day, so I'm used to it. It's brutal, you know, but, uh, but like I said in the beginning of the show, everything is going to fit into this model of intolerance of uncertainty versus uh, acceptance of uncertainty. So I don't care what it is, whether it's a guy going blind or it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I had a uh, client who thought that he was his brother's father by accident. I don't know. You gotta accept the, the possibility that your brother's a momser, you know, or, uh, the, the 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 human mind is capable of uh, has a has a tremendous uh, capacity. You know, John Grayson once said that people with OCD have a great what does he say? Great imagination for uh, looking out for danger. So they can uh, they can create scenarios that are very very creative. Um, but here's a good example also where most cases are about something that's real. That means uh, retinal detachments are real. Floaters are real. Buster Bakhalov is a real rule, right? 
So they're I not. I don't know if, from what I understand from him, I don't know if it's the fear, like let's say that he'll go blind. I think it's actually the distraction of what he's seeing ah, ah. that oh. bothers him. Okay, so this is called a neutral obsession. And they are sometimes the worst. So blinking, breathing, something like that. Um, a neutral obsession could be a song, song in the head disease. It could be a, a billboard that you don't want it in your head. So, so you just, the same thing. If you accept that that thing is going to distract me for the rest of my life, life will be easier. Same thing with the guy with the blinking, uh, but I'm not going to be able to learn. I'm going to this, I'm going to that. Okay, that's possible. But if you fight it, the more you fight something, the more it's in your consciousness. And that's just, again, this is a much more mindfulness. When someone has a neutral obsession, I actually have a lot of this mindfulness stuff where you allow, uh, you allow that thing to be there. Uh, so that would be a neutral obsession. There's no feared consequence, except for the fact that it's there. It is a neutral obsession. And uh, there's a section on it in John Grayson's book, Freedom from Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. I don't have to go, but I have to excuse myself for a second. I'll be right back. Okay. Manachem, it's all on you now. Beautiful. Take over. Yeah, just, we got it. We got it. Yeah, I think very important, uh, a spouse or anybody, instead of saying, don't worry, you're fine, you say, yeah, could be. That's the way I understand it. It's just basic, um, um, the way how you react. Somebody says, I'm not sure if I'm feeling well, something is wrong, I don't know, I'm not sure, I don't know. Instead of saying, you're fine, don't worry, you're fine. So you're, you know, you say, instead of saying you're fine, don't worry, you say, maybe, could be. And uh, it's very uncomfortable to be there. And I do talk a lot about this uncomfortability. Takes us back to what I talk about a lot is running. We discussed it many times. And this goes to everybody, not only OCD and anxiety, because we're always busy and doing stuff, always busy on our phone. And if you want this, if you want to see how it feels, try not to do what you want to do and sit there and don't do it. Don't pick up your phone. Don't do the next thing and see how you feel. Okay. Actually, how long, how long could you sit without a phone? Uh, you're talking crazy, Manahal, enough, enough. Let's talk reality. Now, now I'm taking it personal. Let's go to the next live question. Then we'll repeat it to Michelle, you're on. Hi. Hello. Hi. Um, I would love to know um, about if this a form of OCD called relationship OCD. I know it's not a DSM, but I'm wondering if it's a real kind of OCD and how do you differentiate between real relationship issues and relationship OCD and how do you heal from it? Can you, can you specify what relationship OCD is? I'm not familiar with that. So what I know about it is that you're obsessing, just like you obsess about, let's say you obsess about, about your hands being dirty. So you're obsessed about your relationship and your compulsions will be like, will be like reassurance, getting reassurance from other people that your relationship is fine or checking on your relationship. Um, 
I should, I feel like I've bumped into therapists that didn't know anything about it. I know it's not in the DSM, but I'm wondering if it's, if, if it's a real thing, if you see clients with it and how do you differentiate between a real relationship? Like, how do you realize if it's a real relationship issue or if it's an OCD type? That's fair. That's a good, so I don't like the fact that they made this thing called relation or OCD, relationship OCD. Yes, it's a thing. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the same thing as every other OCD. I have a I have an intrusive thought. It can go a few ways. I don't love, do I love my spouse? Or it can go, does my spouse love me? And then the compulsions, uh, I don't know, a person will check, do I love her? What, you know, um, different, I'm serious, by the way. Uh, you know, I don't know what it's supposed to feel like. Really? Do I love her? Or, or if the person gets annoyed by their spouse, they get freaked out because it means I don't love her. Oh my gosh. So, so yes, the answer to the first question is it sure is a thing. I don't know about the DSM. I think it's just part of OCD, but um, how do you know? Well, same goes with everything else. Are you having intrusive thoughts that don't make any sense to you? And are you doing um, compulsive behaviors to reduce your anxiety or gain certainty? And those things are interfering. So um, usually you're able to tell. I mean, there's there's a there's a, there, because the person is so anxious. If you're talking about yourself, if are you talking about yourself? Yeah, like I, I I like I had these type of thoughts for like a year and like obsessing about it, and then I I ran into on Google, which I'm saying Google's not the best place, but like once I saw it, I'm like everything makes a lot of sense. Sure. And um, yeah, you like you obsess about. Every, I like different, different parts of relationships and it's like a switch from one obsession to the next. And I think it makes it, I mean, I guess like every kind of OCD, it feels very real. Like, like you don't, you don't, you don't think it's not. Well, I, for, I, didn't, I didn't mention this yet. To the sufferer, if they could look at their clean hand and it feels dirty. It feels so real. But the way it works is whenever whatever we're concerned about, we are uh, hyper vigilant about it. And then, so what we're doing is we're seeking evidence to answer our question. So now we notice everything. Oh, she didn't turn away. Maybe she's not interested, or I, you know, I don't know if it was you or her, but so you start noticing and gathering evidence. And we have an intentional bias, the research says, an intentional bias to the things that reinforce the fear, by the way. So we're only seeing those things. So between that and it feeling so real, so uh, it's hard. But once you, if, if you came to the point where you, you think that you have that kind of uh, OCD, then uh, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready for treatment. One of my first clients was a lady who, what did, I think uh, she actually uh, thought her husband was uh, not faithful. Now, very from lady, from husband, the thoughts were ego dystonic, meaning why am I having these crazy thoughts? He's so not the guy to do something, right? 
So I still remember her. She's in her ninth month crying on my couch. Anyway, this lady today goes to support OCD support groups and yells at people, you got to do exposures. You got to do exposures. She's like uh, a real cheerleader, but it was excruciating. Like we did, we exposure means you do something to bring up the worst, the possibility. So I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed to say what we did to her. You know, we had him go to Atlantic City. He didn't really go to Atlantic City. He just went to, you know, on Route 70 and stayed in the hotel there. But we made him reservations for all kinds of stuff in Atlantic City. She did. We She did it. And he... And guy just wanted to learn about Block Lamar. Yeah, yeah, he didn't mind so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, but she's driving him crazy. Who's that here in the background? Where are you? Where are you? You know, that guy who's driving him crazy. He's a was a good guy, patient guy. So, the, th uh, uh, the therapy is frequent and prolonged exposure to what you're afraid of. So, we designed all these exercises that would bring up the possibility that he is misbehaving, no compulsions, no checking, no nothing, he's better. It's, it's, it's hard work, but it works like crazy. Like crazy, it, it's, it, I, I don't know, uh, it's like magic. It's a little, it, it, I'm surprised. I'm just, I, I'm really, it's amazing how it works. If you, if you, if you make sure that you have no no safety behaviors happening and the person is sticking with it and they stick with the discomfort, what they find out is that someone goes up, 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 and they go down like that. It's just behavioral science. If you want me to explain it, I could explain it, but this is not a, a clinical training, whatever you want. So uh, if they can stick with it, it's incredible. I mean, you know, whatever. You just got to find someone who knows what they're doing. So ROCD, yes. Get it treated. Have a good life. Okay, next live question you're on. Uh, thank you. My question is, is, it, um, is there any correlation between um, anxiety and emotion suppression? Uh, and as a side question, is there a possibility of getting rid of anxiety as a whole? So the first question is, I, you know, I don't think I can answer. I don't know. Uh, it's more of a, um, more of a, uh, I'm not, I'm not familiar with the research on that. So mm -hmm. uh, I could look into it on, uh, you know, uh, emotion suppression. I'm not sure. I don't know. But, uh, the second question was, can you get rid of it? Yeah, fully, at least. Well, life has anxiety. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Do you have children? Yeah, I, anyway. I, I don't. Anxiety attacks, I guess, is more what I'm okay, talking yeah, about. Right. So, yes, person can have a lot less anxiety in their life, if that's your question. A lot less, to the point where you would be satisfied with the amount of anxiety you have in your life. Most probably, between medication and and and, and therapy, I'm a pathological optimist, but I also think it's true. Yeah, I would definitely say yes. Oh, thank you very much. Sure. Okay, Rashul, let's get to this question. I think it's an important question. I know it's late, but I want to cover just at least the important things that I feel that we need to 
cover. I was told that treatment of OCD is exposure. Does that mean if a person needs to break a halacha in order to heal? Is there such a concept of like breaking halacha for exposure therapy? Oh, that's an amazing question. Explain okay. the question because I, I mean myself, I didn't understand yeah. it so well. So, so, so the, the therapy is you do these behaviors. Give an example. Give an example. Uh, I will. Mm-hmm. You, you bring up the 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 fear. So let's say the person's fear is uh, the fear is uh, mixing meat and milk. So we have to bring up the possibility that of basibachal of mixing. So a lot of people are very nervous about this therapy because, oh my gosh, I mean, in order to get better, he has to he make basibachalov because that's an exposure. I have, not only have I never had to do that, which I could, I have every heter in the book if I needed to. I never even had to get a, a, a heter to do any exposure ever. And I'll tell you why. It's a very common misconception a, B, a lot of people who don't have the Torah background are nervous to do therapy, or sometimes women are afraid to specialize in it because, oh, I have to know Shulchan Aruch, and I have to know Halacha. No. I, what, do I, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have smicha or anything. So um, it goes like this. It's a very, so I want to clarify, you don't. And, oh, here's one more very important point. There are Rabbanim who have written shuvas about treating OCD. Um, uh, I don't know if I should say names. There's a shuva, beautifully written shuva about somebody who was, uh, I think he, he wasn't sure if he has Kabbana making Kiddush and it was Bimaitzi people and isn't that the other and a very, very super Hashiva Paisic wrote a tshuva about it. It's a wonderful tshuva. Um, and and there's a lot other 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 rabbanim treated as a halachic issue as well. And I've gone on record as saying that uh, it's completely. I mean, even though it's it's great to learn Torah, it's completely unnecessary because if that person, let's take a case of Basi Bechalov. And if he's worried about uh, making tray for eating tray, the goal of treatment is that he should live with the possibility of eating tray for making tray to the extent that everyone else lives with that possibility. We spoke about that there's an acceptable level of risk in every area of life and in, in Yiddishkeit. So the example would be, I would have that person do something that would happen in the course of anyone else's life in their kitchen that for them would trigger their anxiety about maybe Basavakhalov is happening, but it's a completely everyday garden variety uh, event. I'll tell you, it just happened now. There, uh, somebody, um, they're afraid. This is a halacha on the books. So this is a great example. Uh, that if there's meat between your teeth after eating meat, so they talk about whether that meat will make you lashix or not. If you find it, 
take it out, do you swallow it if you don't? So this person was um, compulsively flossing his teeth to make sure there's nothing in there. So let's let's set it up. The fear is maybe there's meat there, meaning he, maybe there's meat there. So that's one maybe. Um, maybe it will um, render me flashigs later on at some time. And uh, and eventually the next, if I eat milk clicks within whatever, six hours, I'll be eating, you know, I'll be over a halacha. So do, does a person have to go that far to, to make sure that they, that they don't have uh, meat between their teeth? And the answer is no. How do I know? Not because I'm a Pisic, because I can look around and I know that the whole world is not flossing your teeth for an hour after they, they have Flashix. If they feel something in the teeth, they floss their teeth. If they don't, they don't. Now, you see, so I don't, that's not a, you don't need to, you just look around. As a matter of fact, there's a Yushalmi that says that basically what it means is if you're not sure what to do, look around, see what everyone else does. That That is what the Gemara says because not everyone knows for not everyone has a rabbi following them around. They can ask them all their questions. They're paying him for the money they save by switching to Geico. So we we're all in the same boat that we there's 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 a certain tolerance that we there's a certain line that we go to to avoid being Ivor and Avera. Where is that line? Well, somewhere in here. If you're more conscientious, it's here. If you're more relaxed, it's here. Now, in that particular case, since I knew the guy wouldn't do the therapy unless I spoke to a Rav, I spoke to my favorite Rav in, in Lakewood, Rebik Tamachacham. He, he almost doesn't let me finish the questions. Uh, so uh, I said, well, this guy's, you know, um, flossing his teeth. Can I tell him not to? Yes, he should never floss his teeth. <laughs> like that. Now, I didn't need to call the rub, but I needed it to get the guy to do the therapy. You follow? So there's, you can always find something that is within the, the realm of normative halachic practice that will trigger the person's uncertainty and anxiety. It will go up and go down, and you have great exposures. They don't have to do anything wrong. I will not tell them they're not doing anything wrong. I'll just say they're accepting risk. I never, I mean, I'm I'm such an action. They will never get a word of reassurance out of me because it's not good for them. I think I'm dying. What color flowers do you want at the funeral? Like that. Okay, you just, you have to be a certain personality to do this. But that if you understand what, what you're seeing, right, you have to, that's what, that's what the situation calls for. You know, it helps to have a good sense of humor, but people are coming with fears like brain tumors and this and that and the other. You have to yourself be okay with with uncertainty because these are very serious things. So is everyone walking around with the possibility that they have a brain tumor? Yes. So are you. 
What's the difference between you and them? Well, you're thinking about it and they're not. That's all. Maybe, but maybe it's true. That's maybe true. it's real. Maybe yeah. it's real. Yes. Any further questions, Your Honor? I should go check it out. Maybe. So I should go check it out. No. I don't say anything. I just. I, I Here's to. what happens. Why haven't you called the rubber? Why haven't you checked it out? I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I know why, right? But here's how it goes. Do you think someone else right now would go check it out at this level of um, symptomatology? Probably not. Okay, but you want, but I want to. I know you want to because you're nervous. What would you rather? Go check it out or get better from OCD? Uh, you know, I, I can't force anyone to do anything, but if it ain't this one, it's going to be the next. Oh, one second. You're going to go for an MRI. Is it possible that the second you step out of the MRI, you're going to have a tumor start growing? Oh my gosh, you might have to stay in the MRI. We'll bring you kosher food. Don't worry about it. One second. So if we get to that point of trying to ensure that you don't have a brain tumor, You'll be alive, but you won't be living. Mm -hmm. What would you rather? So it's this kind of conversation where, okay, because the OCD's main trick is to try to get you to prove a negative. Prove that something is not. And we take the bait. And then it's it never ends. How do you prove that something is not? Uh, maybe it's not now. It'll be tomorrow. Maybe, uh, that's the okay. trick. So here's, here's one question before we wrap it up. My husband really struggles with anxiety. I have two questions. How do I keep myself from getting annoyed and upset when he starts panicking about something? And how do I help him get through it and calm down? Alcohol. Um, let's think. Or, or who? <laughs> All parties involved. Uh, let's see. My husband, right, right, that's right. That's going to be the, the whole takeaway of the share, by the way. Yeah, you're right. Well, that's my, exactly. Uh, uh, well, I haven't lost my license yet. Let's see. So, again, you see how it's, the question is from the spouse, from the, it's so hard. So, number one, let's assume that they're both know that he's anxious, yeah? So, that's, okay, fine. So being mad at someone for being anxious, I, I, I can't blame the person for being annoyed. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it affects your life in a very dramatic fashion. So here's where you, you, there's a relational piece and then there's an anxiety piece. So um, the anxiety piece would be, I feel so bad that you have anxiety. There's nothing really the spouse can do except for um, be with the person, their anxiety. And I said that very carefully because we we said to reassure the person is not going to do anybody any good. And she's just going to feel depleted from trying to keep him emotionally afloat. So this, go, this is a little bit of... Um, marital therapy in a, in a certain 
sense where um, a, one spouse, there's something called differentiation where I don't have to take on the other person's emotions and their problems. It's a certain kind of emotional independence from the other person. Uh, that being said, that's a whole parsha in and of itself. But the so the first thing is, how do I not be irritated? I don't know. You know, Dr. Torsky Hovashalom used to say, if you have pity for someone, you can't be angry with them. Uh, but the, the person, I said earlier in the program, person is not responsible for having the problem. But I, my view is that they should be responsible for doing something about it. So the spouse should do everything in her power to be compassionate yet firm. That means it's it's hard, very hard, but to cultivate some emotional independence from the problem because you don't need two people who are sucked into this cycle of anxiety. One is enough. And if the she doesn't get sucked into it, whoever asking, then she's better able to help him. I feel bad that you are anxious. You see how that sentence goes? I feel so bad that you. Then the person saying that is free, a lot more free to do whatever it need, is needed to be done to get that person help. But it's that's where anxiety and relationships, it takes a lot of finesse um, not to get sucked into that thing. And it sometimes feels, like I said before, mean when you're not stelling Sue to the person's problem, you're not um, you're not um, connecting with the person over their problem, but ultimately, it's very good for the relationship. So the other, the, whoever the spouse is who doesn't buy into the anxiety is in a much better position to help their spouse. It's a big topic. Okay, beautiful, Shalom. We're going to go to closing now. <laughs> a few minutes to think of a good. After two and a half hours of talking, need a good summation. Put the whole thing in a nice closing of the Chizik for everybody who's here today. First of all, big thank you to Shola Epstein for coming on tonight and giving tremendous physic. It's a very, very, I don't know if it's common, but it's everybody's familiar with this topic. And for the people that are dealing with it, obviously, Allah has come with how important it is to talk about it, try to get some guidance and try to get some, you know, hadracha and some, you know, down to, down to earth advice. Right. So again, there's a lot of questions we didn't get to. I'm sorry about that, number one. Um, again, tonight's share is 124. Tonight's share is There was over a thousand people here tonight. There were thousands and thousands of people that will listen to it later. If anybody wants to join our WhatsApp chats, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. And every Sunday, I'll send you the flyer for the share that week. And, there, and I can also send you the replay. And you can go also to menachembernfeld.com. To his website, sign up for the weekly emails with the speakers and all the replays and anything that's going on in the Coach Menachem community. Next week, we're going to have a very, very powerful share. Please join us with Ramoshi Rappert from here at Tom's River, New Jersey. He's the rov of a very large kehila. He's also the rov of Central Jersey Atzala, and he's a very sought-out therapist as well. So he's a rov, he's a therapist, he's, he's, the, he's the package. So um, it's a very interesting topic. Is there a concept of too much therapy? What are the roles of Rabbanim and therapist, and do they overlap? So um, it should be something very, very special and meaningful. Please join, let people know about it, and join us next week. Everything is recorded. If anybody has any questions, 
please email coachmenachem at gmail.com to hear the shear on the phone, shear number 124, or any of the other recorded shirim. We have a phone number specifically for Coach Menachem, 848-777-GROWTH, option one. And you just put in the number of the shear, or pound is the most recent shear, and you can hear any shear that we had. Um, I don't know if Shulam, if you want to give out any information, somebody wants to get a hold of you, um, you can give an email, you can give your phone number, your address, your social security number, all your information, or we could just send it to Coach Menachem for you, whatever you feel comfortable. So people are asking for your email, so I don't know what you want to do. Oh, I see. Um... Either way, I'll 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 get my office number and my my office email, and okay. I will try to uh, you know I'll try to answer people. So give that now, and then I'll just finish the closing, and then Menachem will wrap up, and then you. So the office email is mishulamepstein at gmail dot com. Please spell that. M e s h u l e m Epstein e p s t e i n at gmail dot com. My office number is seven three two nine nine four. Three nine five nine. Okay. Uh, Beautiful. Know, I, I, one, I, second, I, one second. One second. One second. Again, I want to thank all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop, for promoting us. Ellen Ariel Sharon, Ellen Ariel from Five Town Central, and special thank you to Chayla Kaplan Shmulsam from JCN for always promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. We're going to go to closing. Menachem will go first, and then Rabbi Shulmi a few minutes. Put the, all your feelings. Now, this is this is uh, what's it called? Uh, improv. This is improv. Put all your feelings and leave it with the with Menachem. I just want to say, I personally wasn't feeling so well tonight, but I, I feel much more calmer right now. So <laughs> maybe it's just your voice. It's definitely working. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a very, very, it was a very, very powerful share. I just want to again reiterate a lot of people that texted and people sent in emails and I was not able to get to them. So I've been sure we know what that means. It means you have to come back for round two. Okay, Coach mm-hmm. Menachem, let's go wrap it up. Beautiful. Rebusholem, thank you so much. And um, it's it's good to hear that, first of all, some clarity, understand what's going on for those who haven't, you know, those are sitting at home thinking they're the only one. And to see somebody that deals with it and that somebody who believes that they can heal. And there is, there is um, they can get some healing and they should get whatever they need in Mitzvah I do want to mention interesting about high functioning, high functioning anxiety. High functioning that means, you know, even those pe- those people who they don't qualify with anxiety and OCD, but they still have these um, anxiety, like we mentioned, very basic, just uh, getting out of your comfort zone. It's it's very hard, and you're not going to go to a therapist. For anxiety and OCD because you don't have you're good you're, you're doing good but at the end of the day there are places areas in your life that you don't want to go to and you don't realize because you might be scared and like we heard tonight being okay being comfortable with the uncomfortability just with that exposure and I think and everybody can use it so those who suffer from OCD and anxiety and even those who don't to try out new things to learn, to grow, whatever you're going to do is always going to be new. You're going to feel anxious. It's going to be stressful. You'll be worried. You're not sure how it's going to work out. And you call Michelle and say, okay, okay. And what's going to happen? Okay. <laughs> and you'll go and do it. You know, it might not work the first time. Try it out again. And that's how we grow in life. And that's how we continue. And uh, it's something that everybody can use. So thank you very much.
for being with us tonight and the Mitzvah Shem, all of those who need the healing and the next step in their life should be able to get it wherever they need it, the Mitzvah Shem. Thank you. Shalom Epstein. Greatest, greatest pleasure. Um, <clears throat> if we, if you don't, I hope this is also a host for uh, to all my clients who uh, are suffering. Um, I actually have a, take a lot of their names. Um, by the way, Moshe Rapper is a rock star, so everyone should tune in next week. He's great, a uh, good friend of mine. So. Uh, number one, OCD is not a mysterious monster. Um, you see, I, I hope that people see how comfortable I am with it. I'm not afraid of it. It's not because I don't have it. It's because I, I understand it. By the way, if anyone's wondering, did he have OCD? I didn't. My wife wishes it. Anyway different story but uh no i didn't <laughs> um but but you saw that i hope you it came across that it, i'm not it, it's not a thing to be afraid of once you understand it it's a known quantity this is not some vague uh you know uh way out uh, psychosis you know it's extremely extremely understood not only that, it's quite simple, the way as, as uh, people understood, <clears throat> I hope, it's really just in its elemental form is uh, about embracing uncertainty. And, um, and some people are, are just uh, very sensitive to uncertainty. I just wanna coach Menachem, there, there are people speaking about being uncomfortable, there actually is a, a, a research on an anxiety sensitivity that that having anxiety, some people experience it as more painful than some than other people. It's a so just like every, just like um just like the other sensory things that some pe people feel it stronger than others. People also feel the anxiety stronger than others. Very interesting. Because I was noticing my clients, like, what, are you afraid of the thing happening? I'm more afraid of the anxiety than actually the thing happening. So anxiety of the anxiety. Yeah. So I started looking into it, and this is what I found, that that people experienced uh, the anxiety even uh, differently. And um, this really is about life. Now, when it comes in the form of OCD, it's very circumscribed and about a few specific things. But that's what attracted me to it. It's really a worldview, meaning don't, it's not about do this and you're cured. Your worldview that uncertainty exists and there's a rabbinish alarm, that's not the cure, but very helpful, because uncertainty is scary, but <clears throat> uh, but but just changing, getting used to that idea, which to some of us is uncomfortable, then 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 your life becomes much much different and much freer, and 
to your point where we sometimes organize our lives around being not being uncomfortable if we notice that and we understand that uncomfortable feelings are normal are normal part of life everything changes because we don't necessarily have to react to it that's what this whole act thing is uh, i spoke about there's a great book called the happiness trap about this if anyone's interested um so uh, people should know that it's a known quantity there are so many people that have it i go to this conference every summer there's over 2,000 people there. A third are therapists. A third are people with OCD. And a third are their family members. And just the fact to watch these people with OCD meeting each other, you can you can cry from it. They, they're sitting there in Utah and here and there, and they think that they're only, they're only, only Meshuggah. One in 40 people is suffering with this. And... It, it it's very depending on how it's excruciating it's very hard it's mental torment so um not making jokes about it or using it as a tagline rather this is a very identifiable illness and the people who have it they're they're your neighbors they're your friends they're 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 very successful professionals i mean the tamidi chachamen that i have had the pleasure the list of working with is is, is a, huge. I mean, one of them, I said, your payment is that you have to be my chavrusa. <laughs> and I have a seder for years with this person, half hour of his time, he learns 24 seven. Uh, so we should know that there is, it's the, I think it's the most uh, treatable psychological disorder you need to go to someone who knows how to treat it, but it's really, it's not, it's not a monster. It really, I've seen, you know, I don't, I don't know what, you know, you, can, you, one, you see people's lives change in front of you. I'm no genius. I'm not like this. I just know how the system works. People do it. I look great. They do the work. It's a great, <laughs> great deal. But the bottom line is, like I said, their their lives go from black and white to color. The, the everything opens up for you. So, find if whoever, if you're suffering or your spouse is suffering, um, yeah, if there there's so much out there, and there's something called before I go, the uh, International Obsessive Compulsive Foundation. That's this. Uh, organization that I'm a, a member of, they have a website, iocdf.org. They have all kinds of resources there. They have a list of providers. Now, I think that list used to be more exclusive. Maybe there's more people on it now. You know, uh, I, I, I'm i there, but I'm in Pennsylvania, you know. Uh, yeah, but uh, you can find somebody who went through their course and how to treat, and how to treat OCD. And maybe um, we didn't get to the question. Next time we could talk about if you can, get, if a non-from therapist can treat from OCD. You know, if you have a blank slot, you know, some Sunday night where I don't feel like going to sleep, we can do it. You know, beautiful. But everybody, um, 
you know, I hope everybody uh, learned something, understood a little more about it, basic uh, building blocks of it, and um, know that there, there's tremendous help out there and pleasure. I hope that some people get helped. Look, I told everybody to text you if they wanted to come back. So look at your text on the Zoom. Tell me if people texted you. Oh, really? Yeah. I said, let's, let's ask. Well, listen. I hope I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I just we're here to. I don't. There's something up with these two guys. I don't know. I mean, I, I, there's so many people. You know, I get helped, and I hope people got information and hope and understanding and um, and compassion for the people who have it. They're sort of invisible. So let's let's understand. Okay, I just. I, I wanted to make advocate for these my clients. I'm not such a mushy guy, but I have to advocate for you know these people who are just walking around, you know that I see every day. They're part of my life, uh, but they have they have you know they have 30, 40 friends and family members, and nobody knows you know. So let's uh, let's understand that one in forty people has it. Okay, I hope this was helpful to to you all. Thank uh, you, my big fish gang. We love you. This goes with this to you. And we'll see everybody next week. Same time, same place. Ramush Rapperg, 9 30. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you again. All right, good. Good night. Good night. Take care.